Hey yo, Cali Green Monster Show. Sports. Yes. Stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nate Diaz, you're a straight fucking zombie. But that doesn't surprise me. It doesn't surprise you. Of course you're not surprised. Welcome into another episode of the Cali Green Monster Show. I am your host, Dean Ryan, coming to you here from the Tesla Studios in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. It's a Monday morning, June 14th, 2021, and I've got an excellent show lined up for you guys, as always, to help you fight back the Monday morning blues get off and on what was hopefully a kick-ass weekend for you guys and we can run into this week you know on full steam keep that momentum going there was a lot of good sports action this past weekend to recap so you know i've got a nice full show lined up for you guys saturday night ufc return with ufc 263 headlined by two title fights as well as the first ever five round non-main event non-title fight between nate diaz and leon edwards as well as a couple other noteworthy headlining things that happened at ufc 263 so there's definitely a lot to talk about in terms of you know cage action coming from the ufc also this weekend was the opening you know games for euro 2020 you know even though it's 2021 as I mentioned on the last show, we can't expect these people to be making shirts for 2021 when they already have good Euro 2020 shirts and programs already ready to go. So, you know, the opening matches have already happened or they're actually in the middle of them. I mean, right now, Scotland and Czech Republic is going as we speak. And there was an epic goal that happened probably five minutes before I was recording. So going to talk about all that action as well as the scary moment that happened in the Denmark and Finland game. You know, it's one of those things that I'm sure you've probably heard about it, but, you know, I'll, I'll recap it and kind of give you the up-to-date news on Christian Eriksen from Denmark, as well as going to talk, you know, spend about a good 45 seconds talking about NBA basketball, you know, as, you know, there's the NBA playoffs going on right now. There's been a few noteworthy things going on there, so I feel like, you know, got to do the obligatory NBA playoff basketball mention but before we dig into all that, I want to talk a little bit about football because I feel like there's an NFL free agent out there that's kind of completely delusional and just doesn't know when to be quiet. You know, this person I'm talking about is Le'Veon Bell. You know, he's in the news because he came out on an Instagram comment saying that he would never play for Andy Reid again. You know, he definitely had a stint with the Chiefs this past season after he got released from the New York Jets. You know, he was brought in to kind of compliment Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And a lot of people are anticipating that, you know, okay, Le'Veon Bell wasn't doing good with the New York Jets because he was with Adam Gase. And, you know, the New York Jets are just a dumpster fire. So that's probably the reason to explain for his decline compared to his years in Pittsburgh. You know, because keep in mind, Le'Veon Bell was, you know, one of the top running backs in the NFL. You know, he was someone that was arguably go number one in all the fantasy football drafts because of his versatility, not just as a running back but as a pass catcher and he's such a patient patient runner he knows how to you know 
you know, find the holes and explode through them. But, you know, he hasn't been that running back, I feel, since he decided to sit out a season, you know, when he was trying to get a contract extension with the Pittsburgh Steelers. That never came to fruition. And he just, yeah, like I said, he hasn't been the same ball player since then. And so now he's coming out saying that, you know, he won't ever play for Andy Reid again. And it's almost like newsflash, Le'Veon Bell. Right now, the narrative around you right now is that you're a washed-up running back. So I really doubt that you should be burning any bridges. And right now, he's you know he's burned bridges out of Pittsburgh. You know he's probably never going to go back there. He burned bridges on the way out of the New York Jets, and now he's currently burning bridges with you know the Kansas City Chiefs. You know Andy Reid is someone that I think gets a lot of respect from his players and with a lot of people around the league. So for Le'Veon Bell to say he would never have play for Andy Reid again like he has a problem with Andy Reid it's gonna have to start being time to start you know doing some self-reflection when it seems like everywhere he goes and there's a problem it's like we're, we're, it's, it's one of those things where if, if there's a problem everywhere you go is it everyone else that's the problem or is it yourself that's the problem you know you would think that Le'Veon Bell you know someone that like I said is the narrative is that he's kind of a washed up running back and you know I'm sure he probably has some left to be able to contribute to an NFL team but he's definitely not a number one running back and I'd argue that he's even not even a number two running back at the moment so for him to come out saying that he could you know wouldn't want to go anywhere like he even has you know I guess the ability to be able to pick where he wants to go it's like newsflash Le'Veon Bell you should probably take a job anywhere that you could take it before because before you know it you're either going to be trying to I guess reinvigorate that rap career that you were trying to start while you were taking that season off when trying to negotiate a contract with the Pittsburgh Steelers or you might find yourself in the XFL when it gets fired back up or up in the Canadian Football League either way Le'Veon Bell I don't think that burning bridges from every single team you leave is the right way to be doing business especially as your football skills kind of be on the decline so it'll be kind of interesting to see if Le'Veon Bell even gets signed somewhere I'm sure he will you know, as the season goes on and teams running back start getting hurt, they will. Someone will reach out to Le'Veon Bell, but you know, at least we know it probably won't be the Kansas City Chiefs or the Jets or the Pittsburgh Steelers for that matter. All right, switching out of football because let's be real, you know, Le'Veon Bell's probably the first bit of news that doesn't involve Aaron Rodgers in the NFL right now. Let's move on to UFC 263. You know, the headline by Israel Adesanya. For, middleweight champion 185 pound division he had a rematch with marvin vittori you know a few years back he had beat vittori via split decision which was a non-title bout this time it was for the belt the belt vittori was running a five fight win streak and you know he came in looking pretty big you know i think a lot of people thought the takeaway after adesanya fought jan blahovich where blahovich was able to use his size and really wear israel adesanya out you know i think there were some people chalking up as that's the way to beat adesanya and vittori came in looking pretty buff and the thing is even though he looked buff he looked the part and he was able to at times be able to bring the the bout to the ground he really couldn't do anything with it Adesanya dominated the match the entire time he he shut him out on the scorecards 50 45 on all three judges and there really wasn't you know it really wasn't competitive you know Vittori had like a shocked look on his face when he saw the results being read and Adesanya on the post-fight news conference said that after the fight you know Vittori kind of looked at him th- saying that like oh I won the fight you know kind of being completely delusional almost have Le'Veon Bell syndrome you know <laughs> 
thinking you're better than you really are you know because i think no one watching that 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 fight would ever think that vittori you know won that fight you know you could say he's tough as shit he's durable he took some leg kicks he took some combos from adesanya and lasted the entire 25 minutes but save for a moment where he took adesanya's back in the third round i feel like adesanya was never in much danger and even then when he got his back taken adesanya was able to defend and basically wind up on top of vittori and adesanya you know said that he basically told Vittori like oh like you're fucked now or like you're scared now and you know Adesanya definitely even though he lost to Blahovich, I feel like his you know air of invincibility at least at 185 is still there he still looks like the top dog and like the top dog by far you know he didn't even get you know like I said I felt like he was never in much danger the entire time in the post-fight conference he was talking about how he prides himself in being an active champion and would like to get in there you know as soon as possible I think Dana White had mentioned Adesanya asking for a fight in October, and we already know which person he's targeting for that October fight. You know, Robert Whitaker, he wants a rematch with Robert Whitaker. This is someone he's fought already. You know, he took the belt from Whitaker back in October of 2019. They fought in Melbourne, Australia, in a big stadium show card. And, you know, Robert Whitaker is definitely one of those guys where he fights anyone else in the 185-pound division. And, you know, I think he dominates him. You know, I think his last fight was against... Uh, was against Gastelum, who's, you know, he's a top dude in both the 170 and 185 pound division, and it made it look not even competitive, but when you look back at their first fight, Adesanya made Whitaker look not competitive. You know, at the time, Whitaker said that he could tell that, or Adesanya could tell that when he faced Whitaker that first time, that Whitaker looked scared and wasn't as confident, you know, that you would see from Robert Whitaker. So I don't know if, you know, getting your ass kicked by Adesanya is going to do the first time is going to do anything to help boost your confidence. But, you know, maybe having already spent time in the octagon with him will give him a little bit more comfort, you know, comfortability, if that's even a proper word when he goes in with Adesanya. So I expect this to be, you know, a better bout or, you know, a closer bout and definitely one that I'm looking forward to in the 185 pound division as far as, far as Marvin Vittori you know he said that after this fight he has you know a newfound respect for Israel Adesanya and I mean you know I think you you kind of have to after this dude clearly showed he was a class above you you know argue a class or two above you and completely beat your ass for 25 minutes but Vittori he's saying that up next he'd like to fight Paulo Costa so we'll see if they can line that match up you know Paulo Costa he's been in the news recently kind of you know Tout saying this thing, similar things that Jake Paul has been mentioned about Dana White and you know fighter pay in the UFC. Paulo Costa think is that he's not paid well enough, but according to Dana White, you know he could have started a YouTube channel just like Jake Paul if he wanted to make that kind of money. And you know I agree. You know all these fighters and athletes that sign contracts to either you know the UFC or sign contracts with their teams and then want to say that they're underpaid. It's like well. You, you signed on the dotted line you know I don't think there's refinancing in sports and you know I think that these guys need to start realizing that before they sign their name on the dotted line in the co-main event we had another title fight it was the flyweight 100 foot 25 pound championship it was a rematch between Davison Figueredo and Brandon Moreno you know, Figueredo is someone that, you know, in his first match with Moreno, he was coming off a 21-day rest or 
21 day turnaround from his previous title fight you know so when that fight ended up in a, in a draw you know a lot of people m myself including thought Figueredo would be able to you know go back to the drawing board come back fresh and dominate Brandon Moreno but you know we were I was wrong on that one Moreno looked like the better fighter the entire you know the entire bout I felt like he was able to get the better of Figueredo with his jab while they're on the feet you know he was able to defend himself well on the ground and I feel like get himself in better positions on the ground compared to Figueredo and in the third round his grappling you know Moreno's grappling really you know was the the story there where he was able to take Figueredo's back right at the beginning of the round and I mean he had a body triangle on Figueredo right off the bat and I mean I think there was like three and a half minutes left when he had that body triangle locked in and I mean that's a long time to be defending with someone on your back you know attacking for a rear naked and it was only a matter of time because you know Moreno just had to do a little bit of adjustment and sure as shit got the rear naked choke in Mexico congratulations you have your first Mexican born UFC champion you know it was only a matter of time before that happens you know Mexico is a country and a culture that prides itself on its you know boxing so now they have a you know a mixed martial arts champion at the highest level to be able to celebrate and I feel like, you know, when you listen to how big of the pop that Moreno got from the crowd, you know, this pay-per-view was in Arizona, and Arizona has a really big Mexican and a Hispanic population. So, you know, they were definitely in full force cheering for Moreno. And, you know, his pop was only second to Nate Diaz, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But, you know, Moreno, I feel like if he can keep rattling off wins and, you know, really up his profile, you know, that's, he's going to be a huge star in Mexico. You know, up next for him, I'm thinking it's probably going to be this Russian guy, Askar Askarov. For those of you who have never heard of him, he's 13-0-1. He's 3-0-1 in the UFC, and he's coming off beating off beating Joseph Benavides. So if you have to ask me, you know, I doubt that they're going to book the Figueredo rematch. And I feel like whenever there's, you know, in need of a title challenger at 125, it's usually Joseph Benavides. So if this guy, if this, you know, Askarov has just beat Benavides, it makes sense that he'd be the next guy to fight for the 125-pound title. I mean, me in a dream scenario, if you want to put the best matchup at 125, you call 1FC and try to do a dream matchup with Adriana Marias, you know, the 1FC champion, or see if Mighty Mouse Johnson wants to come back. But, you know, because especially Mighty Mouse's last fight where, you know, he got knocked out with a he was on his butt and then took a flying knee to the face. You know, I know him. He's all about, you know, not the the promotion and all the bells and whistle of MMA. He's all about just the strict sport, and that's why he went to 1FC. But after that, I don't know if I'd be wanting to take any flying knees to the dome while sitting on my butt. So, you know, see if Mighty Mouse Johnson wants to come back and get a piece of Brandon Moreno. And then arguably the main event, you know, even though this fight was third on the main card, it was Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards. This was the first time ever the UFC put on a five-round non-title non-main event fight you know on their pay-per-view and that's because Nate Diaz he's arguably the biggest fan favorite in the UFC right now and you could tell when he came out it was such a huge pop you know people who like wrestling you know it's it's something called like the road warrior pop because you know when the road warriors would come out in the late 80s and the early 90s it was usually the biggest crowd pop or stone cold steve austin in the late 90s that's the kind of reaction nate diaz got you know the crowd loved him you know when leon edwards came out i feel like he got the equal 
polarizing reaction in the other direction where they just did not like Leon Edwards. And I think it's not anything for that Leon Edwards did or maybe because he was British, but or I think it was just because the crowd loves Nate Diaz that damn much. And with the way this this fight went out or the way it played out, you can see why people love Nate Diaz because win, lose, or draw, this guy brings it, and the fight is always going to be entertaining, and it's always going to be action-packed, and you're never going to know who's going to win until the final bell or until the fight's actually done because, you know, for 24 of the 25 minutes, Nate Diaz was getting his ass kicked. That's the way to describe it. You know, I mean, he was tough, and he was still bringing it. You know, he was still, you know, throwing combos. You know, but Leon Edwards was able to take it to the ground, was able to brutalize Nate Diaz with elbows. He had completely gashed open Nate Diaz's head, you know, on the side of his head, you know, also above his eye. He was gushing blood, you know, typical Nate Diaz performance, just, you know, gushing blood everywhere, you know, especially the cut on the side of the head. Like when you saw Nate Diaz walking, it almost looked like in a zombie movie where the zombie has his brains just hanging out the side of his head, you know, but, you know, just like a zombie, you know, you got to cut the zombie's head or shoot him in the head for him to stop. And Nate Diaz never did stop. You know, if this was a six round bout, Nate Diaz is winning that fight because he clipped Leon Edwards like with the perfect shot right on the chin and Leon Edwards was on ice skates for the rest of the minute and if anything Nate Diaz didn't put his foot on the accelerator you know I felt like there was about good 15 seconds where he didn't press the action after he clipped Leon Edwards and I know that there's those that are out there saying hey this is the in the 25th minute of a 25 minute bout Nate Diaz is probably tired tired but you know the Diaz brothers that's one of the things they're notorious for is not just that they like to smoke a ton of pot is that they like to do triathlons for fun so these guys, you know, they don't gas. And you could even tell, like, I mean, after he kind of didn't put, you know, the pressure on, he did finish the round completely, you know, throwing punches at Leon Edwards. And my only critique is, dude, like, you had him beat. Like, if you would have just had a little bit more sense of urgency when you first clipped him, that fight's probably over. And we're talking about the biggest comeback in UFC history. I remember while Diaz was, you know, laying it on Leon Edwards there in that last 30 seconds I was telling my wife you know, if Diaz can pull this off this is going to be the greatest UFC like comeback you know up there with like Anderson Silva where he did the Hail Mary triangle choke on Chael Sonnen when Chael Sonnen was beating him up for a good probably 22 23 minutes so you know Nate Diaz I feel like his stock if anything it went up even in defeat you know kind of same with the bad motherfucker title you know he got beat you know and and had this the fight had to stop due to a doctor stoppage with Masvidal and this one even though he got beat for the entire five rounds he never gave up and you know like Nate Diaz was saying he said if this was real life fight I won that because let's be real in a real life fight it's usually like whoever is standing at the end of the fight whether it's you know one minute two minutes 15 minutes a half an hour because let's be real if there's no judges or ref and we're just seeing who's gonna be the last man standing Nate Diaz was gonna be the last man standing there and you know dude's a stud he's saying that he'd like to do a quick turnaround he'd like to fight again in the next three to four months I mean seeing how much he was bleeding like a stuffed pig I mean, he might need some time to recover to let those cuts get better. But also on the flip side, I think that's just what Nate Diaz does. You know, he's he's been in so many of these wars. I think no matter how much rest time 
you give him, he's just going to bleed like that every single fight. You know, this fight was pushed back a month. You know, it was originally supposed to happen on May 15th at UFC 262, but he apparently did suffer a cut in training, and that's what pushed it back. But, you know, so we'll see. But, you know, it sounds like Nate Diaz is going to come back again. And, you know, even though he might not be a title contender, I think that they can still be, you know, putting on awesome matchups. And I'm kind of predicting that after we see Poirier and McGregor next month, they might be trying to line up that McGregor and Diaz trilogy. But then again, I mean, if McGregor beats Poirier, he might be wanting to go fight Oliveira for the title. So we'll see there. But, I mean... I'd love to see Diaz and McGregor eventually get back at it. And before we move on from the UFC 263, there was a couple other things in the undercard or, you know, the not top three matchups that, you know, were definitely worth talking about. You know, Jamal Hill's arm going flippy floppy. That was definitely one of the gnarliest thing, at least while I was watching it while watching UFC was pretty nuts. You know, I feel like recently, for those that are squeamish, there's been things in the UFC that have, uh, you know, not been the best to watch. You know, if you have a weak stomach, you have Chris Weidman's leg snap. You have Jacare Souza getting his arm snapped. And then now you saw this one. You know, Paul Craig had him in an arm bar triangle. And the next thing you know, he is just cranking on his arm. And then he twisted in a completely different direction. And now Jamal Hill's arm is just like completely hanging there and flopping. And, you know, that Paul Craig is just dropping bows from the bottom of the triangle and just, you know, it was nasty. They finally stopped it. You know, that referee, you know, Dana White was asked about the referee in the post-fight conference and from the scrum and the reporters apparently this referee is a local referee and he's a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt you know i don't know how good of a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt this dude is because to have a guy who's stuck in a triangle like that and having his arm flopping around and to not have the wherewithal to call the fight and be like dude something is seriously wrong you know, that ref, I, I don't know if he'll be refereeing any UFC pay-per-views or UFC events anytime soon. But what's pretty crazy is you assumed when that was happening that this guy's arm is broken or in some way. It wasn't. It was miraculously just an arm dislocation. So, you know, I think he tore some ligaments. But apparently, you know, they fixed his arm, got, you know, put it back in its location or whatever and he had full range of motion so we'll see how long he's going to be out for but it definitely was not as nasty as you know what we first believe and then the last thing I want to talk about from the UFC is Terrence McKinney this dude made his debut and what a debut it was almost broke Masvidal's streak or the you know for the quickest knockout at seven seconds he knocked out Matt Frivola with a beautiful one two and just follow up finish and you know I there's nothing I especially if that's your debut you really can't go much better than that I think it's pretty cool to be like all right my career UFC octagon time I am one and oh with a victory in only seven seconds you know if you ever wanted to feel invincible you know this Terrence McKinney at least has to feel like that after this weekend you know obviously not all of his fights are going to be like this or at least for the time being that's definitely a cool notch on his belt and I'm sure after a long training camp like that he should be in good shape and be able to do a quick turnaround he did mention that his knee kind 
kind of buckled. So I think they're going to have to look at that to make sure he has no damage to his knee. But besides that, Terrence McKinney, that was a pretty memorable debut. And looking forward to see what your career you know, has in store for you moving forward. All right, now let's go to the world of soccer. You know, scary moment on Saturday. You know, in the 43rd minute between Denmark and Finland. You know, Denmark's best player, Chris, 29-year-old Christian Eriksson. You know, he he there was a ball inbound, and after he touched it, he fell face first to the ground. You know, just the way that he, you know, like basically it, he fell like a dead fish just laid there you could tell something was wrong and right away the you know the players you know surrounded Erickson so no one could see medical personnel came out there they were working on him for you know 10 minutes or so you know and after the fact the team doctor said that you know Erickson did suffer cardiac arrest and that he was gone for at least a few seconds or I don't know how long he was you know I guess legally dead but he was able to come back once they used the defibrillator or using CPR I'm not sure what the specific specifics there of how they treated him but they were able to transport him off the field you know the game was suspended for a few hours you know they ended up finishing later on Finland won one nothing but I think considering the events that happened during the game that's really not important you know, Erickson, I guess, is in good spirits now. He's in the hospital. His teammates have visited him. You know, he's given them the, you know, the okay to, hey, keep playing, focus on your next match. You know, Denmark's, Denmark's got their hands full with Belgium. So, you know, they're going to have to try to move on from this scary incident. You know, it was really scary when it happened because I feel like when things like that happen, the media or someone will at least say, like, oh, he was at least – awake and coherent on the way back but we weren't hearing anything like that and it just made you think the worst so it was really relieving you know like probably half hour later that you know they're saying that he was responsive and that he was okay and you know he was like stable in a hospital but you know it's pretty you know it's devastating for a player like Christian Eriksen you know he's one of the best you know center midfielders in the world he plays for Inter Milan in the Italian Serie A you know this year he this was his 66th competitive match since soccer restarted after the COVID-19, you know, like suspended the seasons in 2020. So this is a guy who's, you know, should be in peak condition. It's a freak thing. You know, I was telling my wife how crazy it is that this guy, you know, he probably trains every day, has all these matches, you know, and then that this happens on the first day of the European Cup, you know, in the first half. So, you know, all the best wishes to Christian Eriksen. Hopefully he recovers, you know, and, and it, we really don't know what this means for the rest of his career. Apparently there's laws in Italy that are probably going to prevent him from playing professional soccer in Italy. I guess if you've suffered a cardiac arrest or have some sort of heart disease like that, you, you won't be okay to play soccer. I think there are other countries that'll, you know, allow Erickson to be a little bit more autonomous and make the choice himself if he'd want to be allowed to play. But this is definitely one of those things where, it wouldn't be surprised if that's it for Christian Erickson's career because, you know, he's definitely got more important things to focus on, especially when, you know, you're suffering a cardiac arrest and your life now is, is in, you know, I guess at risk, you know, instead of playing this game. So, you know, like I said, all well wishes to Christian Erickson. 
you know, in terms of other news from the Euro Cup, you know, I was watching Scotland and the Czech Republic this morning, and, you know, it was 1-0 Czech Republic when I left the house, and, you know, when I got off the freeway, I was at a red light, and let's be real, my ADD was getting the best of me, I checked Twitter, and like 23 seconds before that, I guess... Czech Republic scored the sick ass goal from like midfield you know the Scotland goalie was caught you know too far out and you know the Czech Republic guy went for it boom two nothing so sick ass goal if you haven't seen that you should go check it out but in terms of anything else there really hasn't been nothing noteworthy you know all the favorites seem to be doing well you know Italy won by three you know Belgium beat Russia by three uh with the big game in group D I believe I think it's group D with England and Croatia that happened yesterday morning and England was able to handle Croatia one nothing that was a big win for England I think that was the first time in the European Cup history that they've won their opening match so you know there's a lot of expectations for this England team and beating the other good team in their group was you know a good way to start this tournament so i imagine stuff's going to be you know i bet you the pressure and the expectations in england is just going to build and build as this tournament goes on and before we finish the show you know let's do the quick nba minute or you know quick the obligatory nba playoff talk phoenix sun swept the denver nuggets last night you know, Nikola Jokic out there punching a dude, getting a t- you know double flagrant and getting kicked out of the game. You know, Devin Booker was all up in his face, but you know, I think that's obviously just frustration from Jokic. You know, they just got swept. You know, making the Lakers getting beat by six by the Phoenix Suns not look as bad. So, you know, Chris Paul, he's out here just playing probably the best that Chris Paul's ever played, which is amazing for a dude. You know, like almost two decades deep into his career. You know, they could write books on how to play point guard just based off of what Chris Paul's doing. So Phoenix Suns, they're going to find themselves in the Western Conference Finals. We just got to figure out who's going to be meeting them, whether it's going to be Clippers or Utah. Utah's up 2-1 in that series. And then we look over in the Eastern Conference, a series that I thought was completely, you know, game, set, match when it was 2-0, the Brooklyn Nets. You know, but over the weekend, that story and narrative of that series has completely changed. The uh, the Milwaukee Bucks have tied the series 2-2. You know, James Harden, who hasn't been playing with a hamstring issue. Now Kyrie Irving hurt his ankle yesterday. You know, Kevin Durant, I think, got completely shut down in the game yesterday. So the Brooklyn Nets are in big trouble. You know, one of the things that made them unstoppable is that they have this big three. But if they have no Kyrie Irving and James Harden comes in with a hobbled hamstring, leaving it all for Kevin Durant to get it done we'll see man this Milwaukee Bucks team is you know a complete team and I think they're a better team if you know I'd rather take a complete Milwaukee Bucks team than a completely hobbled Brooklyn Nets team so we'll see you know that's all I got for you guys on today's show you know if you've made it this far into the show man I really appreciate you guys man I appreciate everyone that takes the time to download and listen to this podcast so you know if you enjoyed what you were listening to be a friend tell a friend but until next time i've been your host dean ryan this has been a cali green monster show have a great one guys peace